hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24. Based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, that's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. AJ, you and I both watch a lot of hockey, and we haven't really taught, taken the time to identify things that we like about the game and things that we don't in light of a recent flurry of goals, I'll say. For me, I'm going to start off with a couple, and I'm going to get your reaction. I'm going to give you time to think of a, at least one or two that you don't like, and then we're going to invite our, our listeners to put something together during the course of the week and hit us up with their pet peeves. So, for me, I was watching the Leaf game last night, and, and I see a point shot coming from the opposition, and the goalie goes to his knees right away before, before the backswing is down. He's on the ice. I hate seeing stuff like that because you're giving away the top corner of the net every time, and you're, you're forgetting about the fact that you don't have to go all the way down. you got your stick down there to move in the direction of any low pucks. So I really hate seeing that. And I want to know how you feel about that. Have you noticed that tendency increasing over the last few years? And what do you think about the ploy in general? Well, I mean, the one thing I'll say is like percentage, right? Like you have to think about that. If if I'm down, like I'm taking away the bottom half of the, the ice, uh, you know, the other, the guy shooting the puck would have to, you know, absolutely pinpoint it into the top of the net uh, so, I mean, percentage wise, it seems like probably the better choice. And just from like an eyeball standpoint, like what's, what looks worse when you're watching a goalie, when he lets it like squeak underneath him or when the guy like rifles the top shelf on him and you're kind of like, Oh, well, the goalie wouldn't have stopped that anyway. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't hate it. It feels like it's probably the higher percentage, like play for a goalie to make. I, I'm not a goalie coach. I'm no expert here, but it just seems like taking away the bottom half of the net uh, is probably the smarter move than trying to stay big and leaving, you know, five hole kind of open a, a little bit. I know you said the sticks there, but the stick doesn't necessarily cover the whole bottom half of the net. So I don't hate it, Paul. Well, yours is the prevailing wisdom partner, but I tell you, I'll relay a quick story about 10 years ago. I had my daughter in the goalie camp. And they started with that drill, and they, they immediately had the kids hit the ice in terms of blocking long shots. And the shots were all low and all the rest of it, just to get them warmed up. And I went over to the, one of the instructors. I said, is this for real? I can't stand watching this. And I pulled it right off the ice. I didn't, I didn't want any part of that. So I feel very strong in that. Keep your stick on the ice and use it to cover the bottom part of the net, as well as your feet. And count on the quick feet, but don't give away the top corners of the net because otherwise – you're giving up almost a third of the goal uh, goal area right off the top, and and I I don't like it anyway. We'll agree to disagree. Well, Paul, with I think I disagree with you even more when you're talking about youth hockey. Like, <laughs> what youth hockey player can elevate the puck into the top corner? Like, take the bottom of the net. I disagree with you even more. <laughs> having, having coached high school hockey, I, I think I disagree with you even more if you're going to extend your take into youth hockey. Like, well, get, that's, that's get down. Right. Where that, all of the pucks are. I, I agree with you when the kids are younger and all the rest of it, but I'm talking about 15, 16, 17. By that age, the kids that I was dealing with were all able to shoot the puck anywhere they wanted to with time. And, of course, under duress, it's harder, obviously, and it is so in the NHL. But I hate, hate giving up 
uh, half of the, a third of the net when you're dropping to your knees and you get the top corners exposed, you're looking for trouble and, and the Leafs find it all the time when their goalies are doing that. And goalies around the league do for that matter as well. So we'll agree to disagree with this one. But I want to hear your take on the second one too. Another one that I've observed most recently in this last couple of years on face-offs, partner. The center grips the stick with both hands facing the same way. How many different ways can you pull the puck when you're doing that? There's only one way, and that's between your own feet. I'm, I, got, I played center uh, in a, at a number of different levels in, in my junior and, and younger hockey years, and I, I like the ability to go left, go right, go forward, go backwards. When you, when you got that two-hand grip and it's pulling back, there's only one way it can go, right? Uh, I mean, I, I agree. I think it gives you less options, um, but you could probably still, I mean, you could still, it wouldn't have the same like reaction if you went forward with it, but you probably still could go forward on it. Um, but I do think you're right. I think it does limit your, does limit your options. Um, but I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you, Paul. I'm not staring at hand position in most NHL games. So I don't have a lot of take on that, but I'll, I'll agree with you that it does probably limit your options. Well, I got a big screen, and I guess it comes through on my TV. Maybe you're watching it on a 12-inch screen. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but I can see it pretty plain on, on the, the, the plays that I watch, when they, particularly when they show replays right off the quick draws and the quick goals. And it's become universal. They, they all have the same grip. And I don't understand where, where this started or what the plan is going forward, but I really don't think you have the versatility to move the puck around as, as a center should right off the hop. Gaining the draw and gaining possession is the most important thing when you, when you think about it to start and play. Uh, I'd rather have it than without. How many times in the overtime do you have to watch your star players, if they lose the draw, they're chasing the puck for their whole 40-second shift before they have to change, and then it becomes a problem to get them off. So... It really is a critical thing that I'd like to see more teams take a look at and, and try the more old school version uh, that I'm talking about. But those are two of the things that, that I've watched in hockey in the last few years that really bother me. Uh, we can also talk about the drop pass on the power play into your own end, which I really can't stand. But uh, I'll save that for you. And if you have any other takes, let's throw them out there. Well, I'll just, I'll just add if anybody's anybody's interested here are some some names I'll toss out to maybe watch and and see where his hand position are so um in terms of guys with a decent amount of face-offs high face-off percentage Patrice Bergeron is at 62.3 percent that's pretty high he's got over 1100 face-offs for large sample size Claude Giroux 61.5 percent again about 900 and then your boy John Tavares 61.3 uh, over 900 faceoffs this year. So uh, I would, if you're looking for for three guys to maybe check that on and, and to watch, uh, those would be the three guys. And, and I'll have to take a closer look and watch some of those games and, and see what they're doing because it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, thing to watch. But like I said, I'm not always staring at hand position on faceoffs. Uh, must be a Canadian trait where you're a little more concerned about that. Uh, in terms of uh, pet peeves in hockey, like the one that drives me just nuts is why on every hard hit does there have to be a scrum? Like clean, 
clean, hard hits. Like, even if the dude gets – like, I don't want anybody to get injured, obviously. But if it's a clean hit, even if the dude gets knocked out, like, why we all got to come together and be all pissy about it afterwards? Like, dirty hits, dangerous hits, like, you know, into the boards from behind, like, stuff like that. Like, by all means, defend your player. Go after it. But, like, if a guy gets hit hard in a clean hit, like – Skate with your head up, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't get why after every one of these, we have to have, like, these huge scrums and everybody's trying to pretend like they're going to throw a punch and nobody really is anyway in most of those situations. It just is it's dumb to me. Um, I, I like I, – I'm not trying to take fighting out of hockey. That will never be a position you'll hear out of me. I think it has its place. But, like, on a clean – Clean, hard hit. I don't think we need to all like come together and be Mr. Tough Guy about it. I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I think it's long overdue that the players really take a look at that situation and realize, again, we aren't that many years away from, removed from when we used to celebrate the hardest hitters in the league, the Scott Stevens types who would lay somebody out because they had their heads down. I mean, nobody wants to see concussions or serious injury, but it doesn't happen that often. And the hits that you're describing, often it's the player that gets hit that gets up and says, ah, I got to get back in this guy's face and put a glove in his face if I can. Show him that I'm upset. But you know what? They're, the games are 60 minutes long. You got time to get another hit back. Take a number and, and, and go after him later. So anyway, it's just food for thought. These are a few things that you and I have come up with off the top of our heads and that, that bother us when we're watching games. I'm kind of curious. For our listeners, uh, this is a bit of a challenge that I'll send out. Send us your pet peeves about hockey or what you like best about the games. I mean, uh, let's talk about one thing that I really like the best, AJ. I I like the fact that on power plays now, you don't see teams when they set up in the offensive zone that they stay still and they just pass it around the perimeter. you got players moving all over the place, and the defense has to shift positions, and they're really challenged to keep up with that. So I love that aspect of putting pressure in the offensive zone. And, and seeing how the defense kind of copes with that. So good or bad, I want to hear, and I'm sure you do, from our listeners about what they like best about the game that they've played these days and what they think is a pet peeve. And we'll use the best ones that we, that we find in coming weeks if we get good answers. So with that, that's our intro piece that we usually uh, weave in. And uh, now it's time to take a look at the, the teams in the league and what's new in each locale. And AJ, it's your turn to bat lead up. So why don't you tell us, what you see about the Anaheim Ducks in their recent performances. They went one and two last week. Yeah, absolutely. So with, uh, with Anaheim here, obviously it's waiting, uh, you know, this past week to get uh, Ryan Getzlaff back. He's been dealing with a, uh, an injury there, a lower body injury. They did uh, just reassign um, Brendan Gooley back to the minors. So that could, I know he's a defenseman, but they had gone with a, an 11-7 kind of uh, format last night. So that could be an indication that Getzloff will be back and they'll be able to return to the 12-6. Uh, they snagged Andre Suster off waivers. Uh, John Gibson is back healthy. He had been dealing with an injury as well, although uh, he didn't exactly look healthy getting rocked by Chicago last night, gave up five goals on 13 helpers. Uh, and, and really, John Gibson's numbers – Going back the entire month of February, have been pretty bad. Uh, two wins, six losses in eight games with a five, six, nine save percentage. So they're going to need better net mining from him. They're certainly 
They have Anthony Stollers, who, you know, I just I've kind of given up on. He's a player we've talked about a bunch at, at points over the last six years that we've been doing this together and kind of expected him to eventually, you know, take that next step. And I, I just haven't seen it out of him. So uh, in terms of, you know, offensive upside, guys that have stepped up, Cam Fowler had five helpers in their last three games. Adam Henry, Troy Terry, both picking up three points. So they've had guys that have stepped up decently well with Getz, Getzlaff out of the lineup, but certainly getting him back uh, sooner rather than later will bolster that forward group. AJ over in Arizona, I think they shot the team's highlight video from the for the whole season in the last three games because this team exploded offensively like I haven't seen in years out of this group. They swept all their games. The two of them were against also rants like Detroit and Ottawa where they totaled 17 goals against seven allowed. And then they also got a 2-1 win against Colorado. It was a fantastic game that I watched. So they're playing some of their best hockey of the season. And wouldn't you, believe, wouldn't you know it, they're coming to Toronto for that, their next outing. But offensively, they've been led by Nick Schmaltz, who set a club record with a seven-point game last week. And that was a part of a 12-point uh, uh, week for him, five goals and seven assists on, on the whole. And then Clayton Keller's a guy, one of the few guys they've committed long-term to. And I think it'll be money well spent. He just continues to score, and he's over 50 points on the season. Nick Ritchie has found a, a, a place to finally get a little bit on track. We saw the best hockey out of him all season with two goals and one helper. And then I come to Jeff Chikrin, and we talked about this briefly before we went to air today. Two more goals, two assists for a guy who's under contract for a couple more years at a reasonable cap hit of $4.6 million. And yet he's one of the top guys that's being talked about in trade. If I'm Arizona's management, I hang onto this guy with both hands. If you have a 23-year-old defenseman who has shown the offensive upside that this guy does and can be a minute eater on the back end, why on earth would you trade him? I'm not really sure. I don't have the answer to that one. Yeah, I mean, it's not – I kind of agree with you there, Paul, 23 years old. He's under contract for three more years after this one. Pretty decent uh, cap hit there at 4.6. So I guess, you know, maybe the right offer come along. I, I guess that could be – could be the decision there in Boston, a really good week for them Two zero and one. They're still trying to track down your Leafs for that, uh, that third spot in the Atlantic, but they are, you know, five points back. So it'll certainly take some work to do there. Um, but really no concerns about them missing a, a playoff spot here. Uh, though, if they don't track down Toronto, they'll, they'll certainly get the wild card. And a lot of that has to do uh, with depth scoring is, I think, a key for this team. And it's not something we've said a lot. Um, usually when we talk about Boston, we're talking about a one-line team. I think the decision to you know, move Pasternak off the top group has really spread things out. You know, For example, Craig Smith led the team uh, in their last three games with five goals and one assist. So that's the third line chipping in there. Eric Halla had three points uh, playing alongside, you know, Pasternak, who, who also had three. So we're, we're finally seeing some depth scoring out of this club. The goaltending has been pretty solid out of Jeremy Swayman. Two wins uh, in those three games. 900 for the save percentage. You'd like it to be, you know, a smidge higher, obviously. But um, certainly he seems to be putting himself in a position to be the number one guy moving into the postseason. Uh, we'll we'll see if that that holds, but uh, you know, currently on a, a six game winning streak, uh, fantastic numbers, and you know maybe 
the getting assigned to the minors when, you know, Rass came back for all of a week kind of woke something up in him that, that he needed to, to step up and, you know, make sure that that didn't happen again. He, he certainly made his case moving forward. And AJ in Buffalo, we talked about the fact that their offense has been surging most recently. Guys like Jeff Skinner and Kyla Pozo come to mind when you think about big contracts and low performance. But this year, you can't say that about either guy. They're doing their share. And when you augment that, we've talked about Tage Thompson and Alex Tuck. That's a pretty nice four-pack. And then most recently, they're getting a good cameo out of Peyton Krebs. He's one of their players that will be a centerpiece in this offense for the future. But uh, we haven't spoke to, spoken glowingly of one Victor Olofsson, who was underperforming for much of the year, but he's gotten into the act now too. So the depth is going in, creeping into a third line in terms of offensive possibilities here, which has been unprecedented, uncharted waters for this team and bodes well. But they are really struggling on defense and, and are missing a couple of veteran minute eaters in Will Butcher and Colin Miller that make uh, make things apt to go on the high side in terms of total goals when they're these this team plays. Uh, on, on the In the feel-good story that might be brewing here, Craig Anderson is a couple of wins away from career number 300, and he's getting the lion's share of the work in the net, so it's very likely that we'll see that landmark, that benchmark for him very soon. Uh, a dis- long and distinguished career for this guy who was a warrior when he was in Ottawa and really has battled a lot of things off the ice in his career. So one of the guys that you really feel good about uh, with, with the storyline that's around him these days. For the Hurricanes, bit of uh, an obvious red flag here uh, with Freddie Anderson having missed the last two games. Now, the second of those was part of a back-to-back, so you would kind of assume that that was a planned day off, but he did not dress against Seattle. Could just be, you know, he he played a lot of games. They're trying to rest him up here. Um, So something to watch, at least. He's back at practice today. They did send Alex Lyon back down to the minors, so by all indications, he should at least be ready to back up for their next game. Anti Ranta um, getting the nod here uh, in in his in his stead for the last two games and has looked pretty good. So overall, a, a decent uh, decent outing for them. So that'll be the key. Obviously, getting uh, Tony D'Angelo back looks like it's not exactly going to be anytime soon, um, but has at least begun to make progress. We're projecting, you know, maybe the end of March is when he'll be back and, and ready to go for the Hurricanes. In Calgary, we're still talking about one of the top teams in the league and their top line continues to fire, but there, there is some concern over Johnny Gaudreau. He went. He had three goals and four helpers last week, but the concern is a knee-on-knee collision with Washington's Tom Wilson, and then any collision with him doesn't usually wind up well. And wait to see with, with bated breath, I think, Calgary fans to, to know what the extent of that injury is. Uh, no conclusion at this point from my end, AJ. But uh, on the plus side... Andrew Mangiapane continues to score. It doesn't matter where they put this guy in the lineup. And the fact that he's now in the bottom bottom six as often as not is is something that really highlights the depth of this offense. And Tyler Toffoli is another guy who's been moved between second and third lines. They're both scoring a ton in support of that top unit. So offense, definitely not a problem. And Jacob Marstrom, of course, holding down the fort in the nets. So they've got a real good thing going there and have to be looked at as one of the best teams in in the league right now. And uh, in the division that they're in, it might be a bit of a cream puff situation for the first two rounds that they slide through. Well, there's going to be wars 
in the in the other three divisions. So that's a team that I think is one to watch just based on the fact that they're in a pretty good situation, not only for their healthy roster, but the ease of, uh, of making it through the first two rounds of the playoffs this season. For Chicago, I mean, you know, it's hard to to really find a, a ton to talk about them with. Obviously not going to be a playoff team this week. Uh, so it's really a matter of, of who might uh, leave and who might get shipped out uh, as, as we approach the deadline here. We're still, you know, about two, well, about less than two weeks away at, at this point here, or maybe a little more. I can't do math right now, but <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So, it, you know, it's a question of that. They don't have a ton of guys that would immediately jump in to that discussion in terms of, you know, guys that are going to be UFAs next year. Um, but they don't have a first-round pick, just one second-rounder, so they could certainly use some draft picks to bolster that. On ice, 2-2 two and two last week. Flurry played three of those games, picked up a pair of wins. Strom with a really nice week, six goals, three assists. Debrincat had eight points. Patrick Kane had 11. Uh, so getting uh, really good production of late. Uh, I mentioned, obviously, they had that recent uh, that win last night, so that's a big one for them as well. And in Columbus, they have a guy who has the most weird stat line that I've ever I've seen in years, AJ. You got Jake Boracek with three goals and 40 assists. The 40 assists put him among the league leaders in that category. And you've got to think that this guy, obviously a pass first player. So who the heck is he playing with? Well, he's moved around again in the top six. He was playing a lot with Patrick Laine and accounted for a lot of assists in that situation. But now he's moved over to the second line with Jack Roslavik and Oliver Bjorkstrand. So keep an eye on those guys and their production as this guy has just established himself once again, as a premier distributor of the puck from the wing position. Normally you see that at center ice, but he's just been, lights out in terms of getting those those helpers and and continuing to do it consistently this season so good on him it stretches the offense when you can can put him on a second line and drive it there and have line and jenner uh, at the top line and don't forget about gustav nyquist a couple of years removed from leading this team in, with a 60 plus point campaign so offensively they got a good look and of course they've got a guy that i touted a couple of weeks ago as possible trade bait in max domi and he's been on fire ever since i mentioned that and and I don't know about in your neck of the woods, AJ, but he's been the subject of a lot of rumors uh, about possibly moving on to a contending club. And he's really helped his cause with the way that he's playing uh, at this point in time. They would like to uh, spruce up their defense. Vladislav Gavrikov is making a case for being a second credible option behind Zach Wierenski. So that's a player to watch in, ter- in terms of his development. Ditto for Andrew Peake. But I think they could certainly improve on the rest of the group there. And so that's where I think they'll be targeting a return in any kind of trade talks as we look forward. And you wonder if Eunice Corpusallo is a guy that could be involved in some trade discussions too, because Elvis Merzlikens certainly looks like he has both hands on the number one job right now. For Colorado, a bit of a disappointing week as they went one, two, and one. And you look deeper into those numbers. Like I'll spot you the overtime loss to the Flames, not a big deal. Um, but they lost two to one to Arizona. Like offense is Colorado's kind of key. Um, so only being able to get one goal against Arizona. Then they lost three, uh, five to three rather to the Devils. That's a non-playoff team that you really shouldn't be losing to. And uh, so there, there's maybe something to maybe be a little concerned about. Obviously, it would take a pretty 
a significant drop off for them to somehow miss the playoffs. I mean, they're full 20 points ahead of Dallas, who's in fifth uh, and, and the last wild card spot here. But um, if they stumble for too long, you could maybe see St. Louis or, or Minnesota try and catch them here. But even that seems like a stretch. So maybe it's a good time for Colorado to kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit if they can afford to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's certainly not the top guys who are doing it in those four games. You've got McKinnon with eight points, three scored with the man advantage. Kel McCarr, seven points, two with the man advantage as well. Landis Gog, Kadri, and Devin Taves rounding out the top five scores for them. Uh, I don't, you know, if I'm looking at this team, maybe some depth tweaks uh, in terms of, of the market here. Um, but I, I doubt they go after goaltender. The level of goaltender they would need to get would probably just cost too much. Uh, and you don't get a lot of number one, like top elite goalies on the, on the trade market. So I'd, I'd be surprised if they were able to address that. Uh, before the deadline here, the defense is solid. So I, I really don't see Colorado doing too much here um, other than maybe grabbing like an extra third line scoring option uh, for them moving forward. And AJ, I'm, I'm thinking while you're talking about your back club, I'm talking about Dallas. And there's a couple of guys who's been named in, in a lot of trade rumors. And one is John Klingberg. And I look at his stat line and okay, the points are there with 29. And on a, de- a team that's been noted for a defensive conscience, he's got the worst plus minus on the squad with a minus 15. So uh, a, a guy who's got some experience, no question, but for some reason the plus minus is, is an indicator of some poor defense defensive play that has crept into his profile. And I'm not really liking that if I'm a suitor. And, and similarly in the Nets, I don't like the way that Braden Holtby has kind of been shunted to the side. If you're trying to showcase a guy for a possible trade, they've all but ignored him and wrote Jake Ottinger's hot hand almost exclusively in recent weeks. He got three game starts out of the four last week. And of course, Holtby was sidelined for much of the last little while too. Don't forget that. But Ottinger, three starts, two wins and eight goals against. And then Jason Robertson, probably the highlight of the week for for league goal scoring, seven goals on the on the week, two hat tricks in a weekend where uh, he he went wild on a Friday and a Sunday night, two consecutive hat tricks there, and uh, of course Joe Pavelski chips in with another four points. He's uh, defying his birth certificate big time this season. Happy to see that, and uh, of course they have a fine blend of offensive pieces when you consider that they can throw him out there. Robertson, they got Jamie Benn playing a lot better in recent weeks. He had a four-point week. But for me, I I wonder if they're doing themselves a disservice by not showcasing Holtby a little bit more and and maybe wondering what they do uh, with their defense situation. If they do move a guy like Klingberg, what can the return look like if people really dive into the numbers that he's put up this year? In the Motor City, it's it's more of kind of what what we would expect here, three losses this last week um, and some really, I mean, to be blunt, some poor net mining. Uh, Nadelkovich, 8.75 was the save percentage in his two games. Thomas Grice, astronomically somehow worse with 7.31 being the save percentage in his one outing. 12.08 was the goals against average in that one. So um, not looking good in Detroit between the pipes. The offense have been... Pretty stagnant. Robbie Fabry had three goals in those three games, but Dylan Larkin, one assist. 
Michael Rasmussen, one assist. If if there's a a good sign, uh, Jacob Vrana got onto the ice for the first time this season after a long-term shoulder injury. He scored a goal uh, in that game last night, so he's obviously going to give them a bit of a boost. They've got Tyler Bertuzzi, bit of an illness today. They said it was a non-COVID illness, so he'll be questionable for tomorrow, so something to kind of keep an eye on there. But otherwise, it seems to be trending um, – you know, in in an okay direction for him to be available for their next game. But even if he's not, I think it just serves to give other guys opportunities. Nemesnikov is a player who might play on that first line with Larkin and Raymond if uh, if Bertuzzi's out, and that could be good for Detroit. Nemesnikov is a player that I would think uh, could draw some interest here. Cap hit is just two million dollars. He'll be a UFA at the end of the year. He's twenty nine years of age, so. Uh, he could, you know, he's not going to garner a, a first round pick, but uh, maybe a few extra picks or a prospect or something could help uh, Detroit build towards the future. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen that Edmonton for a while now. AJ, we haven't seen Connor McDavid smiling. I've watched a couple of their games recently, and this guy looks like he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And it hasn't helped him that a couple of the key offensive cogs are now on the sideline with injuries. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Jesse Pugliarvi, and Tyson Berry, all three guys that you see in a regular rotation on their power play are all sideline on the IR. So they're they're really taking a hit in the infirmary. And even Mike Smith is listed as day-to-day. So this team is really in danger of missing the postseason, and they've got to get their act together. Consider what they've done in terms of the line revamping with the injuries up front. Ryan McLeod is now listed as first-line first left winger aside from uh, across from Dave McDavid and Hyman I mean that's a lot to ask for a guy who hasn't really performed very well all season long I guess they're trying to spread what little offense remains when you consider that they've got Dreisaitl and Evander Kane on the second unit but I I would like to see a better uh, use of of the left wing on the top line than putting a guy who's a fourth line player in there I mean even Warren Fogel with a little bit of size and toughness would be my choice uh, or uh, but even Zach Cassian, who's played in that position earlier in his career, makes a little more sense than McLeod. I'm really not sure what they're doing offensively in Edmonton. And, of course, their defense and goaltending has, has been something we've called into into uh, criti- critique a lot in the last few weeks. And uh, that's a full explanation. I, I think all you need to know about why they're struggling to, to be relevant in their division and maybe not even qualify for the postseason here, some real – Real trouble in Edmonton right now. Paul, I want to reiterate something that you you mentioned there, add some some stat backing to it, is uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has missed 12 games this year. They've only won three of those contests. So if you want to talk about a guy that has a huge impact um, on their lineup, it, it is clearly him, whether he's anchoring his own third line, playing on the wing with either Drysaddle or McDavid, clearly Nugent Hopkins is key um, to, to that action there for them. In Florida, a fantastic week for them. 4-0 and is the record, and getting it done is Sergei Bobrovsky between the pipes. Three wins over that stretch and just five goals allowed, a 1.67 save percentage. And in the one game that Spencer Knight played, he gave up just one goal on 30 shots. So, uh, clearly, the net mining is working in Florida. 
you know, they had that, you know, I think it was last week, Paul, we were talking about they had kind of had a bit of a slip up that they seem to be struggling a little bit. Um, they have righted the ship. That is for sure. Four wins, uh, which followed a, a three-game losing streak that we had highlighted last week. So they've got matchups with another matchup with Philadelphia tomorrow. That should be a good opportunity for them to keep their win streak going. And really, I mean, the scoring is all over the board, which is what's going to make this team so dangerous come the postseason. You've got Brandon Montour with four points in those last four games, Patrick Hornquist with a pair of goals. Uh, and But then you've also got, you know, kind of the studs at the top of the lineup. Reinhardt, four points in four games. Barkoff with eight points, including four with the man advantage. So they're getting production up and down the lineup. Doesn't seem to matter who's in. They just keep scoring, and the goaltending's been phenomenal. This is going to be um, not an impossible team to beat by any means. No team is impossible to beat, but it's, it is not going to be easy, even for a division rival like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And in L.A., there's all kinds of good news offensively that helped this team go out, get to a 3-1 and one record last week. But even in goal, Cal Peterson, who had given way to Jonathan Quick much of the season, uh, got the lion's share of the net mining. Three game starts last week. He got two wins and plowed six goals against, including a shutout. So he did his share to get back a little bit of a share of the net. And you wonder how that's going to be split the rest of the way. This team is destined, I think, to make the postseason. And they've got a very nice blend. We've talked at length about the checking forwards and particularly at center, that good look at one-two with Kopitar and uh, and uh, Dano. And Dano continues to chip in offensively. He's having a career-best offensive season. And you might say the same thing about Trevor Moore, who's picked up another three points. But even uh, a guy like Arvid, Victor Arvidsson, he's back in the fold now uh, after being on the injured list for a bit, chipped in with three goals. And Andreas Athanasio, this is a guy I think could be a real centerpiece of this offense for years to come. He also had one of his best weeks of the season. So they're getting offense from each of the four lines, even Dustin Brown. I mean, they moved this guy around. He's now playing third line right wing. He chipped in some more offense too. I, I thought he was finished four or five years ago, and he's still producing uh, decent offense for this club, no longer in a top line role, but that just gives you a sense for how much depth that they've got going for them. They can afford to move this guy down a little bit. But on defense, they're showing showcasing a, one of AJ's favorites. Ole Mata is now getting a look with Drew Doughty on that top pairing. And I think that's clearly with an eye towards seeing if they can find any value in this guy's game, offense, defense, or otherwise. But he's going to play alongside one of the better guys in the league. And that might be an opportunity to, to scout this guy and see what really can come from his game. That's that's going to be a disaster. Um, <laughs> having a guy that that not that Doughty is not a defensively minded player by any stretch of the imagination. He's great defensively, but having a guy, generally speaking, that looks to get up in the play uh, with a flat footed player like Ole Mata is going to lead to some some odd man rushes, in in my opinion here. So, but I'll I'll move on to the Minnesota Wild. I think the biggest takeaway from this last week, they went two and two. Cam Talbot with the two wins. Kapokako then with the two losses. Uh, so that should kind of tell you where they should probably trend towards going, uh, you know, as they head into the back half of the season. It's interesting that in the opening months of the season, we're talking October, November, and December, pretty heavy Cam Talbot load. He missed a good chunk of January with an with an injury. Coming out of that injury, they've split them up a lot more. Um, not an even 50-50, but definitely shade um, 
you know, shade more games for, for Cochran in there. And I just, I would have concerns, obviously, if I were them seeing what you've gotten out of, out of them of late. So we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. Um, but I would expect if I'm, if I'm a Cam Talbot, you know, season long fantasy owner right now, I probably would utilize him a little bit more because based on this last week, I think you're going to see more, uh, you know, more opportunities for him offensively. Like it's the same guys we've been talking about all season. Kaprasov, seven points. Fiala, seven points. Hartman, Zuccarella, both with four. Um, you know, interestingly enough, Hartman, four goals. Zuccarella, four assists. So you can kind of uh, correlate that, that those guys are, are working really well together. So Minnesota uh, has the offense. They just need to figure out exactly what they want to do between the, between the, uh, the nets there. AJ in Montreal, they're enjoying a Western Canadian swing. They went 2-0 so far, and they got another game against Vancouver coming up. So they'll see if they can sweep it. But uh, there's some good and bad news here. I'm going to get to the good news first. Obviously, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, they are really benefiting from the relationship that they've they've got and the trust that they've got from their head coach, Marty St. Louis. They've been playing at the top of their games ever since that coaching change was made. And I know you've got to be smiling a little bit because of Caulfield's connection that uh, to your locale there it's good to see him at the top of this game to see how good this guy can be I mean he was touted as the rookie of the year without even playing a game this season but things are not going to work out in that way but at least it's good to know that the talent is still there and he's starting to really show it again but there's a guy in that top six that has got to be driving Canadians fans crazy and that's Josh Anderson AJ the guy has three goals in in the last five games no assists and he's got Eight, uh, six or seven shots, all, all but three of them came in in one game. It's the other four games, four of the five last five games, guys can been completely invisible, and that's the knock on him. He's on the books for several seasons with this club, and he's going to drive people nuts. They know the game in Montreal, and he, this guy doesn't play it every night, and he's got all the tools, the size, the skill, the shot, and he just doesn't show it regularly enough, and and. I cringe when I see numbers like this from a player with all that ability and God-given talent. It's not coming out, and nobody's really talking about it that much. He's getting a pass, and he doesn't deserve one. For New Jersey, uh, obviously the biggest concern is the fact that Nico Heischer missed the game yesterday with a lower body injury. Um, It doesn't sound like it's expected to be a a long-term problem there for him, Um, but obviously, you know, when you're you're franchise center there is is hurt it's it's definitely a concern and and something that you need to pay attention to the other thing that's interesting with this team right now is it seems like nico dawes has won the starting job here over uh john gillies he's uh played in each of their last five games went three and two over that stretch 282 is the save percentage really solid numbers from the 21 year old netminder um you know, is it enough to maybe challenge Blackwood next season for for the starting job? Probably not. Um, but he, I would say, you know, if you're maybe not in a, a deep keeper league, but maybe a, a you know a lighter keeper league where somebody like him might be available, if you're not in it and have the you know spot to maybe stash somebody, Nico Dawes might be worth considering in that route. Just um, you know, playing well at least right now, and it might be worth a shot to, to to see if he can potentially, you know, maybe play his way into a split next year. Obviously, Blackwood's injury problems have been beyond just this latest issue 
Uh, so he could get more opportunities just, just from that side of it. So keep your eyes on Dawes heading into the, the rest of this season and, and early in uh, you know training camp next year. AJ, I got to bang the drum real loud for a defenseman on the Nashville Predators. Roman Yossi leads this team in scoring with 60 points already this season. He's also plus 14 on the season. This is a team that's not blessed with the high-end talent of Colorado or Tampa, who have two of the other top candidates for for defenseman of the year. And when I drilled down into this guy's performance, I found that what he's doing with the supporting cast that he has, I think he's my nominee right now as the top defenseman in this game, uh, just for all the things that I just said. That's not to say that he hasn't had some help in terms of the offensive cast and the rest of the defense. I mean, there, there are some people on the team, people on the back end that I really like. Matthias Ekholm has had one of the better contract situations. He got a new contract in this past offseason, but for years was a bargain here, and he's been a steady performer. He's, in fact, his, his numbers have taken a bit of a downturn this season. In the Nets, we talked about UC Saros, one of the top goalies in hockey. Well, well-earned reputation there. And offensively, we've talked at length about Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne at least scoring a little bit this year to pe- make people forget about the ugly cap hits that they're on the book for. Philip Forsberg doing his part as well. Beyond that, though, the offense, it's a little bit wanting for me right now. We have fits and starts from the likes of Tolvin and, and Tyler Janot. Philip Tomasino's had a very nice run of late. And Michael McCarron is a guy who may be getting an interesting look here uh, as a depth forward. He's another guy with the size uh, that you'd like to see in, in a bottom six forward with good hands. And now he's finally starting to show a little bit of offense there. So they're getting a good look from a few of the different players, but... I really wanted to highlight Roman Yossi here for the outstanding numbers and campaign that he's enjoying so far this season. On Long Island, uh, the obvious concern continues to be when is Matthew Barzell going to get back in action? He's missed five games for them, had really been uh, rolling pretty well, scoring points in uh, six of his last seven contests before getting hurt. couple of multi-point efforts in there as well. Uh, so getting him back is obviously, you know, key to them being able to, to put together offense and, and, and wins potentially here. Again, not going to be a playoff team, just, just so far out of it. I, I guess probably mathematically, they're probably not totally eliminated yet, but um, pretty much there. The question for me is what, if anything, they might do at the deadline here, there's not a ton of players that immediately jump out at you in terms of, you know, contract status. You've got Cal Clutterbuck, uh, Andy Green are kind of two guys. The Dano Char is currently on IR, but he looks like he might be back tomorrow. Those are three names that are going to be UFAs next year. Again, not sure what the market would be for those guys. Obviously, Green and, and Chara on, on the you know far back halves of their careers. Um, Zach Parisi maybe could offer some interest. Uh, another guy that's a, a UFA, but I, you know, kind of the names that other teams would obviously covet more are guys that are signed long term that they're going to continue to build around. So they're one to watch only because I'm just not sure what, if anything, they'll really do and, and what sort of assets. Maybe someone would call about Simeon Varlamov. Varla- stumbled over that one real well. Um, you know, $5 million for this year and next year, 33 years of age. Obviously, I think Sorokin's going to be their guy moving forward. So 
Uh, maybe again, maybe one player that that they would consider moving and uh, could get some calls on. And AJ, I mean, I highlighted a top defense, and I'm going to highlight a top goalie. I think that Igor Shesterkin has really separated himself from the pack in the Nets for the Vezina Trophy, so much so that he's even in in conversations that I've heard for the Hart Trophy as the most valuable player in the entire league, regardless of position. His win-loss record is outstanding at 28-6. He's got a goals against average under two per game and a save percentage over 94%. At a time, we're seeing an uptick in scoring, which is really remarkable for me. And he came off an effort against Winnipeg, for instance, where most recently turned away 45 of 46 shots. And it, these kinds of performances are becoming routine for this guy and not giving a, a, his backup, Alexander Georgiev, a sniff in terms of uh, any kind of regular uh, outings in the nets because he's been so consistent, so strong for them. Offensively, too, they're starting to get a bit of production out of Alexi Lafreniere. He, nobody's really talking about this guy. Second-year pro, first overall draft pick last year. He's got three, three goals in his last six games AJ, and now he gets the prime assignment alongside Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, who have formed an excellent partnership all season long. Kreider, for his part, still among the top goal scorers in the league, which is a bit of a shocker when you consider that. And it's afforded them to stretch their lineup when you when you can have Ryan Stroman, Artemi Panarin, Panarin for me, maybe the most skilled player on this team, in a second-line role helping to drive that unit. So a pretty nice-looking top six and then on defense, Jacob Truba is, is playing uh, a very nice supporting role to Adam Fox, who's had an outstanding year, and Keandre Miller, who is developing into a fine young defenseman. But Truba's rediscovered his offensive game as well. And in the depth of the defense, I want to keep an eye on a guy like Braden Schneider, who was a first-round draft pick uh, last year by the Rangers. And I think one of the he'll go down as one of the better picks in that draft before it's all said and done. I do believe the guy's a big physical, physical specimen with an offensive upside, so credit for the, to the Rangers for drafting him. And they've drafted – they've had some hits and misses. Capo Caco is, might be in the latter category right now. He just can't get healthy to, to show us what he really is. He's on the IR at the moment, but he's another guy that we look for when he's healthy to be another part of the young guns that, cha- that give this team a chance to do their rebuild on the fly. They've been very successful in terms of the transition that they made. And I can still remember it wasn't that long ago where the ownership wrote a letter to the league, to their fans saying, you know what, we're going to be in for some pain. But it really, that really hasn't been a long-term situation. They've turned things around quickly in New York, and it's showing right now on the ice. Perhaps the nicest thing we can say about Ottawa right now is that they're not going to be an easy out. Yes, they went 1-3 and three this last week. The win comes against the Blues, who are a playoff team. Uh, they lost one of their games to the Golden Knights by just one goal. So really, they are, are not going to make it easy. Uh, unfortunately for them and, and for him, once again, Matt Murray is on IR. Um, you want to talk about a guy that just can't stay healthy or consistent. Look, started the year on a uh, – let me make sure I got this right. Started the year on a seven-game losing streak. Eventually saw him head down to the minors as, as part of that. Currently, before showing up on IR, you know, he's right now in a six-game losing streak. Just he plays well for a little bit for them. I mean, the, the end of January, start of February was really good, started to fall apart again. And, and some of that wasn't even his fault. I mean, he had uh, the first loss of his current six-game losing streak. He stopped 42 of uh, 43 shots on net, but had no offense 
to help him out in that one. Uh, and then had another similar game where he gave up just two goals on 37 shots. Those games were to Pittsburgh and Boston. So really good outings that were losses. And, and then from there, the, the wheels just came off and injuries have, have popped up again. So I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I thought maybe he had turned a corner for them, but uh, seems to have slipped back in, into kind of that that old old mindset or, or whatever it is that's going on there. Offensively, they've still got guys that are contributing. So in terms of DFS, like if you pick the right matchup, the right opportunity, um, they're, they're able to, to put things together. Stutzley, six points in those four games. Josh Norris with four points. Thomas Shabbat, a trio of helpers. Uh, so there, there's guys that you can use in terms of DFS, maybe even consider in season long. Um, but, the you know, there's, there's a lot of question marks here. And when they're facing tough teams, uh, they've actually performed pretty well uh, of late. And, and again, like I said, they're not going to be a, a playoff team, but they're also not going to be an easy out in the same way some other teams in the league are right now. And, AJ, the last team we preview before we go away uh, on our commercial break is the Philadelphia Flyers every week. And I took a look at their numbers in the last few weeks, and we're starting to see it why they're struggling so badly on the whole when you consider they've only got one guy who's even reached the 20 goal mark and this is on a team that has a number of players who have reached the 20 goal mark with regularity in their young careers even their old careers but they're not doing it this year in as a group and so that's a real big problem particularly when you pair that with the fact that we panned their goaltending tandem for much of the year but in the last five games they're seeming to get their act together at both ends of the ice, and they'd have three wins in that stretch. And uh, Carter Hart's been performing a little bit better of late. He's got that goals against back under three per game, which is at least uh, an average mark, let's say. And and uh, it's better than what we've seen out of him. So maybe they're starting to find their groove a little bit, but it's too late to help them this season. But I think the auditions are under, well underway to see who are the keepers and who are the guys that are moved out. And at the head of that list in terms of moving out, maybe it's Claude Giroux, the, the longtime veteran captain of this club, having a 40-point season. He's got a minus 12, one of the highest minuses on the club. But uh, the 40 points bode well for a team that's looking for offensive support from a guy who play, can play center or wing. And the hope is that if he moves, that they get a, quite a haul for his services. One of the top guys that, that people are looking at when they're looking at trade possibilities. On the back end, Jason, Justin Braun has had a very nice season, AJ. 15 points is a, a little bit more than we would expect from him at this stage. And uh, He's a plus two on this team, which is also a pretty good indicator of a very good season because there are not too many pluses on this team as well. So it's for me, it's going to look like what's this team going to look like when after the trade deadline, what will they get back for a couple of veteran players that will likely be moving out the door is the question that needs to be answered. So with that, let's take a break and we'll be back with our look at the remaining teams on uh, on our list and uh, the DFS plays ahead of tonight's Thin schedule on Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, we're back, but uh, let's get a reminder from AJ for ways that our listeners can reach out to us during the week and certainly to answer our question that I posed off the top about your pet peeves in hockey and what you or what do you like about the games. Please send us your, your best comments in that regard. We'll, we'll use the best ones that we get over the next week in upcoming shows, uh, assuming we get a bunch. So 
for now, though, let's take a swing back into our outlook on the teams. And uh, what better way than to get my partner to talk about his favorite club in Pittsburgh? Yeah, absolutely. Like like you said, Paul, if if you do have those uh, you know those pet peeves or those favorites, um, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at AJScholes24. Paul is at Staffman22. Again, we love interacting with with everybody over there on on social media. For the Penguins, as we dive into that, um, the story continues to be lack of of depth scoring. Um, They went 1-1-1 this last week. Crosby, six points. Gensel, five. Malkin, three. Russ, three. Like, that all sounds well and good. Um, But that's about it. You know, Danton Heinen had two points. Marcus Pedersen. Like, there's just nobody uh, doing much in the way of depth scoring here. Now, they are going to get Teddy Bluger back, which is going to bolster their fourth line. That's not going to make it a scoring line by any stretch of the imagination, but it at least gives them another unit that they can feel comfortable putting out there. I would expect Pittsburgh will uh, be seeking winger options uh, at the deadline here. Casperi uh, Kapanen just hasn't been getting it done. And Jason Zucker was struggling for goals even prior to being hurt. So, like, do you really trust him when he comes back? The defense has been fine. Casey DeSmith has been better in goal as, as the number two behind behind Tristan Jari. So, um, the back end doesn't really need much in, in terms of adjustments, at least in my opinion. So it's really about finding a winger, maybe two, uh, one for Malkin, one for Carter, and, and figuring out where to go from there for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And AJ in Seattle, there's another team that's pointed squarely at the trade deadline to see how they can improve their club and who might be going out the door. I'll start on the blue line and say Mark Giordano and Carson Soucy played as a tandem the last week for this team, and uh, they're they're struggling to keep the puck out of their net of late, but these two guys aren't at fault. I like the way that they look in the games that I've got to see them recently, and uh, both of them, I, I think Mark Giordano could really help a team uh, that's hoping for a playoff run. Of course, the captain, longtime captain of the Calgary Flames can do it at both ends of the ice. He's tough as nails, can skate for days, and uh, is a big-time minute eater. And Carson Soucy comes along with big size and and some skill at both ends of the ice, too, as a younger defenseman. This is a guy, if, if a, the right team gets him, I could see him finding a home with a contending club and turning that into a nice portion of his career going forward. And a guy who's also may hit the big payday with a, with a look here in Seattle this season is, is a guy who got $25 bucks coming his way over the next five years. Jared McCann signed that deal yesterday, and uh, he's got to be happy as heck thinking about his future. Now he can finally buy a house is what he was saying when in response to that revelation. So that's the kind of thing that you like to hear about guys that have been good soldiers wherever they've been. And this guy has certainly been one in in his time in Pittsburgh. You'll attest to that, AJ. But I know that uh, he is one of the guys that really delivered the goods here in Seattle and he's been handsomely rewarded. And uh, they got a couple other veterans here that that, uh, could follow suit in short order. I like Colin... Blackwell's game is developing here. Yanni Gord has been a guy who could have sulked from coming from Tampa and instead has been an excellent uh, team leader in the Seattle environment. So he's done himself a good service by putting his nose to the grindstone and, and showing this team what it takes to play this game at a high level. And that's the way this team is going to grow. That plus the combination of what they can get 
at the trade deadline coming in the door. So curious to see next moves here. If there is a downer, I have to think that it's the goaltending tandem of Philip Grubauer and Chris Dreger. I was particularly high on Dreger in the offseason, but he hasn't even got a sniff in the nets with Grubauer playing the lion's share of the game games and of course Grubauer not getting the support up front that he had in prior stops earlier in his career has impacted his numbers as well. Significant injury uh, updates out of San Jose today looks like not only are they going to get back Eric Carlson who's been on IR for for a while now but Jacob Magna and Jonathan Dolan all set to come off and and be in action on on Tuesday and that's going to give them Significantly added depth uh, in terms of, you know, Dolan is set to hit a, a top six role for them. Obviously, Carlson and Magna, big, uh, big minute guys and, and power play opportunities for Carlson in particular. Uh, of concern still, the fact that, that neither James Reimer nor Aiden Hill is expected back tomorrow. Um, you know, they're both still on IR. So Sachenko is going to continue to start for them. Which honestly, at this point, is probably not the worst thing, right? Get a, figure out what you have in in a youngster. I mean, he's 24 years old compared to you know the other two guys there. So, all, all things considered, getting him more opportunities in San Jose probably not uh, bad news for them, and they'll be able to maybe highlight some pieces in the coming days here that uh, could draw some interest on the trade market. AJ, for weeks we were looking at Billy Huso taking the job of number one goalie in St. Louis and really running with it. But over his last four starts, the goals against have creeped up. Uh, he's given up 13 in his last four games played. Meanwhile, Jordan Bennington, who's been up in a funk since the turn of the calendar in Jan- early January, seems to have been uh, got back to the top of his game with a total of only eight goals against in his four last starts, his last four starts. So I could see a changing of the guard and maybe more more game starts coming Bennington's way and it couldn't happen at, better, at a better time when the rest of the team has got its act together and this team is looking like it's going to be a tough out going forward once again and to have their Stanley Cup winning goalie back at the top of his game is going to make that even more a more difficult task and uh, you got to love the the fact that they have three outstanding defensemen, in my opinion, that can play it at both ends of the ice that are really a cornerstone here. That's what I look for in a, in a team that's got playoff aspirations. They've got Justin Falk, who's really turned things around here. And I'm not saying he's made everybody forget about Alex Pietrangelo because it was really, when you consider it wasn't a trade, but one guy came in while the other guy went out. And Falk really struggled for about a year and a half. But his struggles are behind him now, and he's having a very good season. And you couple that with a partnership with Tori Krug on that second pairing, and that's got to be one of the better looks for an experienced pair around the league. And uh, they're afforded that opportunity because Colton Pareko has, has continued to shine. Big, towering, six foot six specimen can play it at both ends of the ice, too. But Miko, Nico Mikola is a guy who's emerged to round out that top four. And I wanted to spend a minute talking about him. The offensive t- totals aren't great. But he's got a pretty flat plus minus, and he's earned enough confidence from the coaching staff to play in the top four here and has not done himself a disservice. And I think only with a little more experience will those numbers grow. So a good look there. And we've talked at length about the offense, four lines deep and a pretty healthy group. Pavel Buknevich nicked up right now and Oscar Sundquist day to day, but nothing long term. So I say watch out for the Blues. So in, in Tampa, 2-2 two and two was the record last week. You know, I mentioned that they're going to maybe have a hard time 
uh, getting past Florida. And I think what concerns me, uh, astonishingly, is actually the net mining. Um, you know, it, it sounds insane to say when you look, you know, Vasilevsky over the last 13 games went 8-4-1. and one. Really good record. Um, but the goals against average over that stretch is sitting at three. And the fact of the matter is that 13-game stretch, he's allowed two or more goals in every single one of those games. Uh, so not even a, a one-goal-allowed game. He hasn't had a shutout since uh, the end of November. And look, you know, if this team wants to win primarily based on, on offense, they are certainly capable of doing so. They have all the talent. And who am I to say that the you know two-time defending Stanley Cup champions don't know what they're doing here? But it just seems like maybe a, a bit of a concern when you have your top netminder. Um, I won't. I won't even call it a, str- a struggling, but just you know, not performing at the same elite level that I think they've come to to expect out of him. My answer to the problem is to give Brian Elliott a few more starts. Over that 13-game stretch, Brian Elliott saw three games. So, um, you know, Vasilevsky starting 13 of 16 there. Give Elliott a few more starts heading into the back half here. It may cost you the the top spot in in the division and and kind of letting Florida walk away with it. But I think it'll better set them up for the postseason if they don't have their, their, you know, key netminder kind of running on fumes here. And uh, the lead goaltending situation is one that's running on fumes, AJ. When you look at it, they just can't keep opponents under four or five goals against per game. It's a good thing that they boast one of the most prolific offenses in the league and they're on fire offensively of late. So they're outscoring their problems. They went two and two on the week when they could easily have gone 0 and four the way they played some dismal hockey. In fact, I was telling you before we went to air again that uh, the two games ago, they won in a game where they were leading. They lost the lead and they came back. Then they did the same thing uh, in their last game. That's not the way to play uh, winning hockey over a long term. And uh, the defensive structure is clearly just a, a, a faint hope in this environment right now. they got to really shore things up uh, by making a couple moves at the trade deadline, I think, or getting a healthy Jake Muzzin back. But they've moved things around offensively a little bit with the promotion of Nick Robertson to a scoring line role, and Alex Kerfoot moved down to give this team a little bit of a different look in the bottom six as well. They've got guys that can check you uh, if they're given a dedicated role like David Kempf, but you're not getting offense from the likes of Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikhail on a steady basis. So it's a real big drop-off from the top six to the bottom six, and I'd like to see that bottom six kind of chip in a little more often. Uh, Otherwise, it's just been the Austin Matthews show uh, with Mitch Marner playing a significant co-starring role here. That's been fun to watch, too, no question. For Vancouver, 2-0 is the record this last week uh, with Thatcher Demko taking uh, both of those games. But the key kind of uh, talking point, to me at least, over their, their recent performance has been this offense. You look back over the last two weeks, uh, only the Toronto Maple Leafs have had a better offense over that stretch. Vancouver converting 4.80 goals per game uh, in the the last two weeks. They played five games over that stretch. And perhaps even more importantly, they've had the best power play in the league at 38.5% over that that two-week span. So really, ton of offense here. If there's a knock on the team right now, it's a 
The penalty kill for one, 75%. That's in the bottom half, um, you know, bottom third, really, of, of the league right now over that two-week span. So they are going to have to shore that up a little bit. But offensively, they are, they are finding ways to, to roll and really produce. And, you know, if you're a Vancouver fan, you're, you're kind of just hoping it's not too little too late, right? Like this team kind of put themselves in a hole to start the year. Um, they'd have to do some serious work to get into the top three in the Pacific. They're currently sitting six points back of the Golden Knights for that last spot, one game in hand. Um, but it's a crowded wild card field. They're actually, you know, among the wild card teams, they're fifth and sitting five points back of, of, of Dallas here. So um, they, they are going to be in it, I think, if their offense can keep rolling. At this point, if they can kind of make some improvements to, to the penalty kill, and it'll be interesting to see, like I said, if they can dig themselves out of that hole. Uh, another crucial piece for Vancouver is going to be figuring out how to win games at home. Uh, they're just 12, 10, and 3, so an overall winning record at home, uh, although I guess it depends how you count the three overtime losses. That's uh, neither here nor there. But um, one, of, one of the kind of worst – home records in terms of playoff, you know, contention teams, even Winnipeg who's behind them is 15, 11 and two, you know, San Jose 13, 13 and three at home. So they're going to have to put uh, together some wins in Vancouver if they want to be in the mix here. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a bit of concern creeping into the Vegas situation, AJ in the same vein, but I think we can safely say this team will make it to the postseason. They went two and two last week. They're in third place right now, still within hailing distance of the first place flames, but they'd have to really catch fire and get healthy. That's that's the number one thing. Consider that in goal, Robin Leonard has been in and out of the lineup, but he's really stabilized things in his last four starts with a total of only eight goals against. So it's a better look than we've had from them in the net mining situation as long as he can stay healthy and perform at that level. They should be fine. But offensively, they're still missing a whole lot of talent up front and and or trying to get the, some guys who are recently off the IR or, or new to the, uh, this NHL season, I'm talking about you, Jack Eichel, to get acclimatized here. And we're starting to see Eichel's game come together a little bit. Uh, he, he got a game-winning goal in the waning stages of a game this week that was pretty exciting to watch. And uh, you saw his skill on full display this week as he chipped in to lead this offense. And we're also seeing Pat, Max Pacioretty back and healthy. So at least those two guys... Uh, give this team a good luck offensively, but they've shuffled things around be, behind them. And Jonathan Marchessault is a guy that's really uh, looking like he really is the main beneficiary here. He long for a long time has been this on the second line right wing, but he's playing right wing on the top unit with Eichel and Pacioretty. And for my money, he's a, a must play in BFS action because he's still uh, cheaper than, than he should be in that role. And he's scoring very regularly in the meantime, uh, as he has all season long for that matter. But the second line has been changed up as well. When you consider Mark Stone's on the lineup and uh, Matthias Janmark is, is on the IR. So they've had to move things around. Michael Amadio has taken advantage as well, playing alongside William Carlson to chip in some offense here. He's normally been a fourth line player uh, wherever he's been in the NHL. But getting a second line look at producing is going to give him a longer look there. And Evgeny Dodonov, who went through a long scoreless slump, slump is trying to get some, some traction. Got two points in three games last week, so better than he has been on the season and still going to get a longer look on that second line. 
But I think they'd like to add some offense here before the trade deadline in, in Vegas to, to help this team get over the hump uh, and and be a, be a big big player once again. Otherwise, they could be cannon fodder if they don't uh, they don't take a step up from where they've been most of the last couple of months. I'll start the the Washington preview by mentioning the fact that Ovechkin has moved into a tie for third all time in the goal list with Yarmir Yager. Uh, sitting at 766, obviously will look to move into third on his own, uh, you know, with uh, with tonight's game. I would imagine he should be, all, all things uh, being equal, he should be able to track down Gordy Howe by the, at some point next season. Um, and, and then <laughs> yeah, it'll be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he's, he's got, you know, no, I know. Some goals to go. You, you make it seem like he's right there. <laughs> no, I, I think the, the way this guy scores in bunches, who knows how quickly it can happen. I'm, I'm astonished now that people are starting to get on the train that we launched a couple of seasons ago saying that this guy was destined to be the top scorer in hockey. And, and a lot of people laughed when we said that a couple of years ago, but nobody's laughing now, are they? That's why I laugh now. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, so uh, yeah, next season, uh, you know, should catch Gordy Howe for for second, and then obviously going for that that eight ninety four by by Wayne Gretzky here. In terms of the the rest of the team, it's been Vidic Vanasek in between the pipes for them of late because Ilya Samsonov was dealing with an injury, um, but he is back and will serve as the netminder tonight on the second game of a back to back. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do here. You know, before getting hurt, Samsonov had had dropped two in a row, was given the hook against Toronto after giving up three goals on 10 shots. Then he misses three games due to an injury. Vanasek's numbers have been relatively decent, uh, though he did give up uh, a four-pack to Calgary last night. But a lot of teams have given up four goals to Calgary this season, so I, I wouldn't be too concerned there. So how the goaltending split plays out down the stretch is again uh, going to be one to watch here in terms of, you know, the forward production or the uh, skater production here, obviously Ovechkin four goals, two assists in those three games. Connor Sherry has three goals and two assists over that stretch. Nick Jensen with four helpers. So it's not just necessarily some of the top guys that are producing uh, so right now the, the team's playing really well. They're getting good net mining, scoring from both forwards and defensemen here uh, and, and able to rely on more than just Alexander Ovechkin. And AJ, we winded up with a look at the Winnipeg Jets. The big news here was Nikolai Ehlers returning to the fold and hitting the ice running three points in three games played. They've got him in a third line role. That won't last. He'll be back in the top six before too long, maybe even going forward this week. So don't be surprised if that shuffles around a little bit. In the meantime, Evgeny Shvechnikov is getting a top, had gotten a top six look and had performed admirably. Good experience for him. And uh, on the left side, Pat Paul Stastny, the guy that they move up and down this lineup every week, we report on a different place for him. Right now he's first line left wing. And of course that means you got to keep an eye on him for DFS value alongside the long tie partnership that is on fire offensively in Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. This team right now is trailing a playoff position by a few points, but I'm not counting them out because they've got all their pieces back. 
that need to be back. And and I think there, there's a run in this team. We haven't seen the best out of Connor Hallibach. He'll need to up his game as well because he's off his career norms with an average, goals against average barely under three and a save percentage that's just a shade over 90%. Those numbers have to improve dramatically to get this team into the dance. But I'm saying don't turn out the lights on their chances because I still think that they have a top six offensively and they have the three, uh, two really solid guys, three really solid guys that are on the back end and Nate Schmidt, Neil Pionk and Josh Morrissey. Those are the formulas for success in terms of Paul Bruno's NHL uh, roster construction. So I still have a lot of time for the Jets before uh, we, we consider them an also and I think they're still in it. So that's our look around the 32 teams, AJ, and uh, it's time for the fun, the real fun of our episode that I think where we try to challenge ourselves to come up with a winning lineup in DFS play, uh, looking for values and uh, finding them more often than not this season. The success rate that we've had is, has been off the charts this year. It's our best year ever, I would say, in combination with one another. And let's, let's keep it running. So over to you for your DK picks tonight. Yeah, I mentioned uh, Vancouver's offensive late, and they're playing at home against Montreal. Sammy Montembeau is going to be between the pipes for the Habs. So I, I think stacking Vancouver is just a no-brainer at this at this point. Um, their power play guys are, are who I'm going to look at, and it starts just from the top. Going to use both their, their centers here, JT Miller, 6,500, Elias Patterson, 4,600, Again, using those power play guys, the the 38.5% over the last two weeks, and you're not going to find a better matchup than playing home against Montreal. I continue my stack with them on the wing. Brock Besser, 5,300. I mentioned on the the DraftKings show earlier today that I think he's a good target for your captain if you're playing showdown for that uh, Vancouver-Montreal matchup. Really has been putting a lot of shots on net of late there. I am going to pay up and use Alexander Ovechkin for Washington. We've talked about the Edmonton net mining situation being questionable for years now at this point. Miko Koskinen will be between the pipes for them. So I think getting Ovechkin at 8,000, you can pair him up with the Connor Sherry, who I mentioned earlier in the show, 3,700 for a guy who's rolling really well right now. Defensively, time to go back to that well on the Vancouver power play. Get Quinn Hughes in there, 5500 uh, it's, it's a pretty solid price tag without having to pay over the top. I go back to Washington. I mentioned Nick Jensen, four assists over the last stretch. And, and look, this is a guy that is not going to be a consistent producer. Hit while the iron is hot here, but four assists for him in the last two games. Might as well hope for a third game in a row here when he's coming in at 2500 right? Like, Good matchup in a game that could have a lot of goals. I think he's worth targeting here. If he gets a couple blocks, maybe a shot or two, um, I think that alone is worth a, that you know bottom price tag. In the Nets, again, you know I think it's a no-brainer. Thatcher Demko is the way to go here. Eight thousand on DraftKings. You'd be crazy and pulling the contrarian play to use Montembeau here. I I'm not touching it, but it's, it's an option if you want to go that route. And I just expect too many goals out of Washington Edmonton to trust Koskinen or Simpson off tonight. Um, so I'll go Demko. I forgot to mention my utility guy. I'm going to use Evander Kane for Edmonton here. He's been rolling for them and in a good spot getting, you know, second line opportunities playing alongside, 
Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, he's on the number one power play unit as well. Uh, and I would expect them to potentially get a, a point or two tonight as well. So very heavy on Vancouver tonight. I think it's going to be a, a goal fest on, on their part here. Um, Paul, what are you doing over on FanDuel? Oh, well, I, I look at the games a little bit differently. I'll say certainly Vancouver may be a slight favorite over Montreal. You have to like the way the Canadians have played on this Western road trip, as I alluded to earlier. But there's a couple of players on the Canucks that I don't think you can avoid. And I certainly think there's at least one in Montreal that has to be in there. So that's where I started. And then on the Washington-Edmonton game, I just have no faith in the Oilers right now. And I think Washington's going to win this one. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win it rather handily. They've got their experienced guys back. Uh, T.J. Oshie's back in the lineup, and I think you you nailed it when you say they have the better goal. Well, they have the better goaltending situation, in my opinion, uh, a big edge, and that's with Samsonov over whoever Edmonton puts in the nets on the other side. So I took my hand there in terms of where I went for the net mining. But let me start at the offensive side. I'm with you, uh, and it's interesting noting the price differences on some of these players. It's rather stark from one platform to the other. So uh, interesting observation, as you'll see uh, it unfold. Elias Pedersen, for me, a must play at center, $5,800. And he might not even play center here in, in Vancouver's lineup. He's been moving around to the wing and whatnot, but he's been very effective wherever he's been. A, better than a point-per-game guy for the last month, and that's good enough for me to make sure I get him in there. And then I always look to see which center is is the pivot for uh, Alex Ovechkin when I think he has a great matchup and tonight I think that's the case so I put Kuznetsov in the lineup for $7,100 uh, as uh, the second center that I'm going to use and I already said I got to watch where Ovechkin's playing well I think this is going to be a tasty matchup for him and he gets to play against Edmonton he loves playing in Can- against the Canadian teams the exposure that he gets is something that he's well aware of and uh, I-, I think he's in for a big night $9,900 the price tag on him so I got to find some cheap talent, right? Well, I go to Cole Caulfield. I'm surprised you didn't really mention him too much uh, in terms of your lineup, AJ, but I'm going to put him in there. He's been the most effective Montreal shooter since Marty St. Louis took the job uh, behind the bench. $5,200 his price tag. And then I go to the other two forwards that are in the utility slots for me tonight. Connor Garland is a guy who uh, likes to play at physical and and I think he'll ha- make that an advantage tonight against a smallish set of forwards or a disinterested set of forwards. I'm talking about you, Josh Anderson. I highlighted you do earlier. And I think I get him in there for $5,400 as a top six play that should perform tonight. And then uh, I pick a second Washington center, effectively, as my other utility guy, and that's Nick Bagstrom. Now, I know he's going to get second-line minutes, doesn't get the, the, the regular shift with Ovi, but that potent power play should have a field day if Edmonton gets into penalty trouble. They could have big nights here. $5,400 is his price tag. On the blue line, I had to go a little bit cheaper than, than maybe I normally like. But I find two guys that are going to be inter- integral to whatever offense these teams generate. I'm looking at Ben Sherratt, who is coming off a two-goal game on this recent road trip. And he knows that there's a lot of eyeballs on him as one of the big trade pieces that Montreal is dangling right now. And I look for him to continue his recent run of play, costing me $4,500. And then in Vancouver's case, certainly uh, I've got to try and fit in a guy who has an offensive part to his game, and that's Tyler Myers. He's uh, listed as first uh, first pairing guy here, so he's going to get a lot of ice time. 
and he might even see some special teams duty on, on the second power play unit, but certainly will play uh, over 20 minutes in this game, and that should afford him to be a part of several offensive opportunities. And finally in the Nets, as I said, I took my hand here. I think there's the big edge in that for Washington over Edmonton, and I think they're going to keep a lid on the Edmonton offense. So I'll go with Ilya Samsonov for a paltry $7,300, the cheapest of, of the goalie starters here uh, in this particular matchup at least. So, AJ, that's uh, that brings us to the end of another episode of, of this show. We're getting very close to the trade deadline, one of the more exciting periods on the regular season calendar. I can't wait to uh, see more rumors in the next week come across the board. But uh, do you think uh, your club is going to be a big player at the trade deadline? Let me ask you that question. I think they have to be. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is you've got, you know, maybe two years left in uh, in the window uh, for them and you can't waste it. Um, that's unacceptable to, to sit there and waste it. Uh, Hextall's said he doesn't want to trade that first round pick, but you got to do what you got to do. They need a winger that can score, that can play with uh, Malkin and or Carter. Well, and I, I feel the same way about the Maple Leafs to a certain extent, though, without blowing their brains out. They have an interesting circumstance in that Jake Musson is slated to return before the end of the regular season, and that changes their outlook because they, uh, if he stayed out the rest of the season, they could use all of the $5.6 million of his salary that was on LTIR. But now that he's coming back earlier, that shaves a big chunk of that off the table. And instead of saying, oh, maybe they can get a, a forward and a defenseman, they've got to really solidify the back end. So it's clear to me they've got to find the best defenseman that they can with the money that they'll have at their disposal. And I think... I alluded to the fact that I think that I may have seen one of the two that they would, should be considering, and that's the tandem that played for Seattle last night, Mark Giordano and Carson Soucy. I'd love to see Giordano. Giordano, here's a Toronto boy, and uh, went to my the same high school that I did. Not the same year by any means, but same <laughs> high school that I did. And uh, so we had that in common, and, and I still think there's a, a lot of good skill in this guy, good leadership qualities, plays it at both ends of the ice, so he's one option. And Susie, big size and physicality, this team needs that in front of the net. Most of the goals that are going in right now are deflections, bounces around the crease area where the Leafs are losing puck battles galore, and that needs to be fixed. So that's the thumbnail on the Pittsburgh and Toronto situations as we see it. It's going to crystallize in the next week, and we'll probably zero in on on specific needs for each of the teams and and more of the, the rumors that will come down the pike. But... For now, that wraps up our look around the league in uh, in this episode of podcast. Less than two weeks to go to the trade deadline. Can't wait for that. So we'll keep you posted. But come back to us during the course of the week, though, with your pet peeves and things that you like about the game. We really wanted to hammer that point home this week to see if we can generate some interest and discussion from our fan base and our listener base. So that, uh, over to you uh, listeners to come through in that regard. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your com- comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJ Scholes. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. As always, we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition with your fancy occupied users. So long, everybody.